What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pierce Cast, the official podcast for Pierce College. I'm your host, Joey Adams, joined by my co-host, Tony Grace. And we're just excited to bring you another episode of highlighting the amazing people here at Pierce that are doing the work, contributing to the mission of creating quality educational opportunities for a diverse community of learners to thrive in an evolving world. And also standing firm on the statement of being an anti-racist institution. There is a lot of work that goes behind that. And we want to continue to highlight that because it is near and dear to our hearts, to the work that we do for students, faculty, and staff. And so with that, we are, we are honored to have two amazing guests who are going to share their own personal lived experiences and what they do here at Pierce College. But most importantly, in efforts uh, to continue to highlight being an anti-racist institution, we have seen what has gone on in Atlanta, in the mass shooting in Atlanta, um, the attack of the elderly woman in San Francisco, and just this heightened sense of racism geared towards our Asian brothers and sisters. Um, as we all know, this is nothing new, uh, but it is being brought to the attention of more and uh, awareness of this is so important. And so uh, our two amazing guests, Aki Smith and Abby Bay, um, who do identify within the Asian community, are just going to talk a lot about of their own experiences, um, how they've been navigating, how they've been supporting their family, friends, uh, students, and just how they've been navigating those spaces and, and what we can do um, as individuals in love to support them and many others out there to let them know that that we we stand firm with you, we stand against racism, and we want equality for all. So with that said, Abby, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for having me. My name is Abby Bay. I am one of the district outreach managers at Pierce College. Uh, I'm based at the Puyallup campus, but I go back and forth between Puyallup and Fort Stillicum. Uh, I recently had a baby. Well, not it's not that recent. It was last January, and I haven't been back to campus since. So I've been working from home, uh, which has been kind of crazy that I haven't really stepped foot on campus since then with COVID and all. Uh, and this past year has just, or the past 2020 and this year has just been pretty uh, turbulent to say the less. A lot of emotions up and down, uh, a lot of fears, a lot of anxiety. Uh, but it's been nice to come together and I've been really trying to find my community and uh, come together with my community. Uh, I recently joined an organization called NAPOF, which is the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. And they have a few chapters. They have one in Seattle. They have a chapter in Chicago, New York, Atlanta. The Atlanta chapter did a lot of the groundwork after the shooting happened there. And then, yeah, I've just been really getting a lot more involved these days in activism, like being a lot more active in activism, I would say, outside of just social media, trying to find organizations I can support, that I can work with, and 
organizations that I think can help make change. So that's something I've been really focused on these days as well. And just continuing to support students. It's been pretty tough, at least in outreach to say the least. Uh, we do a lot of work with the high schools and the high school since they've been online or they've been virtual. It's been tough on the high school administrators as well as their students. And I know it's been tough on our students as well. So. Um, no, that's awesome. Thank you. So first and foremost, I just want to say congratulations to you, mommy. Uh, and what a, I mean, what a, what a weird time, right? To, to, you know, you, you, you have this beautiful baby and then we just dive right into a pandemic. So it's like, that. I, I bet that, that is stressful beyond just trying to keep you and your family safe. So, you know, we, we send in prayers always to you and your family and, and during this time and, and so many others out there that are navigating, you know, while they got little ones along the way to be caring for. Um, and, and, I love hearing about, you know, the activism and, and the community efforts. And so I definitely, um, me and Tony want to dive more into that as we get into the episode. Um, so Aki, Aki, man, introduce yourself to, to podcast land. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, King. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening to this from. My full name is Miguel Akira Smith. I go by Aki for short, uh, for those of you that know, and I am one of the retention managers for the Aspire program at Pierce College. Um, really quick, you know, about myself, it's 2021. I am 28 years old. I'm a father, a husband, you know, some would say a family man, community guy. I'm also a student, um, so we're working full-time, going to graduate school for community planning. Um, and, you know, the pandemic has really had a profound impact on, on the way that um, I operate personally, my family operates. It's it's given a lot and, and also taken a lot um, from me personally, uh, you know, over the last year plus. And so on a daily basis, you know, I'm working with students, um, you know, online, of course, but but seeing really what they're going through. And so I'm blessed enough to work directly with a lot of our Asian Pacific Islander, low income and students of color who come from myriad of, of backgrounds and, and beautiful diasporas. Um, and I myself have also had the opportunity to, to be out in the community, um, collaborating with organizations that not only played a role in my own upbringing, right, but that I know are also kind of planting seeds for the next generation of, of people coming up in, in our surrounding communities. Um, and so it's a pleasure to be here with you. And yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, we appreciate you guys for, for coming on. And COVID has definitely compressed um, and amplified social justice in, in many ways. And so we want to center um, the social justice piece. So we, more than that, we want to center um, our Asian, you know, the Asian culture and, and what that looks like. Um, and Aki, you were talking in terms of um, the through line. I heard you mention, you know, Asian and Pacific Islander. Can you can you tell us for those who don't know what is the cultural through line that makes it make sense for to to group um, Asians and Pacific Islanders in the same type of um, category? Well, you know, there's been a lot of pushback um, over that 
aggregate label, Tony. Um, and that's part of one of the, the core tenets of the work that I do is, is making sure that we understand that there is a diaspora of over 47 different countries, cultures, ethnicities, and, and hundreds of languages that are reflected when people use the AAPI label. Um, and AA Asian American or API Asian Pacific Islander for the PI. Um, and so even when I, when I say that, I, I say it because my work was grounded in the Asia Pacific Cultural Center that does its best um, by living out its mission to serve that, di that entire diaspora. Um, but I think it's also incredibly important that we draw the distinction between the unique challenges that Asian people and Pacific Islander people go through. Um, you know, at the outset of this, um, you know, some of the reports of violence that I saw, I was outside of the country at the time. And I think people were aggregating, you know, stop AAPI hate. Um, and I was conversing with one of my colleagues who is Samoan and she pushed back. She said, this is happening to the Asian community. So let's be specific here. Um, and, and even within that, right, Southeast Asian, South Asian, East Asian, we have significant geographical, geopolitical, cultural, linguistic differences that exist within, within those populations. So um, making sure that not only are we speaking in terms of solidarity, right, but also recognizing those differences is incredibly important whenever we're addressing race and, and social justice in those communities. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, I think that, uh, like Aki mentioned, to recognize those differences, because a lot of times what happened, and this has been talked about before, is that the category of Asian gets looked at as a monolith, and that all experiences are the same, or that they're linear, or it's that one story narrative again, that happens, and that contributes to that model minority myth, that we see certain pockets of Asian communities that are successful or wealthy, but then there are a lot of uh, different Asian communities that are, um, they have really low graduation rates, they are low income, they are also struggling, and then those stories get erased, and they're, that issue of invisibility of the diverse stories that exist in the Asian American um, diaspora, uh, yeah, they, they get erased. And I want to hopefully today when we walk away from this podcast and whoever is listening, uh, that people will start to realize that we aren't all the same, that we're not all one person, um, that we are different. And that needs to be that needs to be recognized. And another thing that I've been talking about a little bit with some people at Pierce is just trying to get that disaggregated data because I think that will really help drive our efforts. So just trying to disaggregate the Asian and Pacific Islander category even more yes. if possible. And Aki and Abby, we, we hear this word um, that you guys have used, diaspora. Um, for those out there that may not be too familiar with it, could you give a little context or, or meaning behind when you say the diaspora? Yeah, um, I think generally diasporas can be understood as like a, a dispersion of, of any people from their original homeland. Uh, and so when we when we say that, we're also 
saying, you know, we have to recognize that there are migration and immigration patterns that um, that follow the identities and families and, and multiple generations of of these communities who, um, you know, have long lasting legacies of contribution all over the world. And I think, you know, um, some of the first documented um, appearances of Filipinos in the United States was like in the 16th century, right? Um, and so I don't think that's a common history or knowledge to a lot of even... Yeah, they're not teaching us in those history books coming up, huh? That that there's people around these lands long, long before we get the documented side of how whatever history they're teaching us, right? Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, when we say diaspora... Uh, at least that's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying, Abby. If you want to build on that, please do. The, you that's what I that's what I would have said too, Aki. And so, like, I'm a sucker for specificity. So I appreciate the concept of disaggregating um, the diaspora, um, but I also understand that there's there's power in numbers, and when the collective can come through to support. Um, whatever the target population is at that time. And um, that's also powerful. And I'm, so I'm wondering, so like given the exposure of um, the recent um, hate crimes um, in the Asian community, um, have you guys seen that support uh, with, with different events or rallies that you've gone to? Absolutely. Um, I mean, most recently, the Stop AAPI Hate and white supremacy rally uh, that took place on March 27th in Tacoma at the Chinese Reconciliation Park was one of those experiences. And I actually have an audio bit just for that, Tony. So is it all right if I share my sound really quick? Yeah, let's listen in. Now this is coming from my former, um, my former employer. Her name is Miss Lua Pritchard, the loving auntie Lua Pritchard, who is the executive director of the Asia Pacific Cultural Center. Uh, I'm just going to share the audio with y'all because we don't need the video. Um, this is part of Lua's closing statements at the rally. I hope, I hope you get her, uh, her vibe. They are truly our leaders. When you call on the elected officials and they show up, those are true leaders. Those are leaders you continue to vote for. Yeah, yeah. They're here. They're here in support of this matter. You know, there are over 900,000 Asian Pacific people here in the state of Washington. For census 2020, when that is all counted, we're going to be over 1 million in the state of Washington. Oh my goodness, how can you hate us? How can you hate us? We pay taxes. We support you. We help you. We make a difference. Why do you hate us? Don't hate us. And now everybody say, do not hate API. Do not hate API. Do not hate. We want you to love. Because that's what we are. Asian Pacific Island people are all about love. We share. Our cultures is to share and to love. You know, I, I love, I love that. I love the passion uh, because 
this stuff is our lives, right? This isn't this isn't just news. This isn't just stuff you read in in a book. This is something that we live day in, day out, twenty four seven, right? And it's it's our ancestors, what they brought us up, um, and what they went through. Um, and so, I guess the next question I just want to ask, and and I'll I'll ask it to you as well, Aki. But I want to ask Abby because there's some more stuff I want to ask you with it, Aki. But a- Abby, I want to start by asking you right now in this time, 2021, what is it like for you? Um, as an Asian American woman uh, navigating this world, what it, what is that like for you? What it, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings as you watch everything in social media, TV? As you go out and experience, like what is what is that like right now for you in this time? Well, I think that's a pretty tough question because uh, there's just so many things that I could mention. Being first of all, just being a woman uh, right now, and uh, side note, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, so I might I wanted to talk a little bit about the fetishization of Asian women, uh, and also being a biracial person as well. I think my experience is quite unique, uh, just for the fact that compared to say. Uh, my husband, who he's from South Korea, he immigrated here. He's East Asian, and me, I'm half Asian, and maybe my face looks a little bit more ambiguous when people see me. So when I walk out on the street, I I feel fearful still, but at the same time, I fear more for my my family, like my mother, who is also an immigrant from the Philippines and for my husband, because I think, I don't know how people see them right now. Cause right now the primary targets are our East Asian and Southeast Asian populations. And um, I just feel a lot of fear. I, I look at my son who's just 15 months old and I think like, how could somebody look at him and feel anger, feel, feel hate or feel disgust or whatever these feelings are that these people are shouting when they see Asian people on the street. And as an Asian woman, I, you know, I've, I've had situations where this has happened in the past where I was walking um, at the beach with a friend of mine. She was also Filipino and I'm Filipino. Uh, she's also Filipino. And then a guy walked up to us with his arms spread wide open and he said, welcome to America ladies. And that just shocked me because we're both uh, Asian American, like we were both born here. Um, and it was just weird that someone approached us and said, welcome to America. So that made me think like, how do people see us or how do people see me? And, uh, you know, I've been called exotic or you get the side comments of, oh, you're Asian. I've never been with an Asian woman before, like these little remarks. And it's the perception of being a foreigner yeah, in your, home, in your homeland, being a forever foreigner. And as an Asian, as an Asian woman as well, you often get fetish, fetishized or hypersexualized. And I'm not sure. I also wanted to talk a little bit about the hypersexualization of Asian women and then the desexualization of Asian men, because that happens as well, where for some reason, Asian women are hypersexualized we're look at we're looked at as passive docile 
that we can cater to our husbands or that we do whatever we're told, that we don't make waves, that we don't argue, that we don't fight back, those sorts of things. But then Asian men are often looked at as being weak as well or not up to par um, to maybe a white male. And I've had, I've heard comments where, you know, my husband, he is an Asian man. And then if I was hit on by someone, this is when I was younger, it doesn't happen so much now that I'm <laughs> in my late twenties, don't really get hit on now, but um, <laughs> where people would say, oh, you're with, you're with him. Like, don't you want a real man? That kind of stuff. And it's just shocking to hear those things. It's amazing and, that people are that unfiltered with it, isn't it? That they feel that yeah. comfortable to say off key stuff like that to you. And it's just, and it's, just the perceptions that they have that just baffles me. I mean, I, and I, I even think in terms of the shooting in Atlanta. Yes. And the idea that what sounded to me like a like a me problem, like, like this guy has um, his own personal issues with with porn, um, and his solution was to terrorize and murder uh six of you know six of eight of, of the folks that he murdered were were Asian Asian descent. Um and so not only do you have the sexualization or the hypersexualization, but that somehow you are the the perpetrator of that as well. Right. So it's your fault for for being that way. Yeah. Um, it it's it's it was ridiculous to me that uh, you know, police said it was just him having a bad day. And he claimed that it was, there was too much temptation. He needed to get rid of the temptation and that it wasn't a hate crime. It was just temptation. He had a sex addiction. But the fact that six out of those eight victims were Asian women, it's saying, you know, it's an act of sexism. It's an act of racism. It's an act of fetishization. Why did he specifically go to massage parlors and target Asian women, but then just try and write it off as, oh, it's just, I needed to get rid of temptations. And often, too often we see in these types of situations where it feels like society and authority can come up with all of these excuses when white counterparts are performing these crimes and they can they can justify it somehow but when it's a BIPOC individual then they and and that person may not even be committing a crime at all and and they end up losing their life or they don't even get to see their day in court because they've been gunned down in the streets and people still put that person on trial I mean we're witnessing it right now uh, in so many different ways but it's it's just it's it's almost sickening like how how often they can justify when an individual does that, you know, and they can see the reasoning behind it somehow, like when it when we clearly see that there is no justification to it. And so, like, uh, Aki, um, with you, uh, uh, as Abby spoke to um, being biracial, I know that you uh, identify as um, an Afro Afro-Asian? Is that how you, how do you, how do you classify it? Um, Afro-Japanese. Um, and, and I know that you are, you are an individual that inspired me in so many ways. Cause you are, when they say 
for the culture. Like Aki, Aki is for the culture. He's showing up in these spaces and he's speaking for his people. I know his ancestors are beyond excited for the kind of work that he does. He's been my brother in arms for a lot of the the black and brown efforts that we have done for our students at the institution. Um, and as I look uh, to the left on my wall, Aki a while back gifted me this uh, this amazing art piece. Um, and what I look, what I look, it's this uh, black. I I like to think it's a black panther. I think it's a black cat, but I call him a black panther. And he's kind of perched up on this stoop, and it's a black panther with a tiger within it. And he shared this amazing story about the artist, um, an Asian artist who was trying to bring awareness to, you know, the BL BLM movements and whatnot. So, Aki, as you kind of um, speak about what it is to be, you know, um, uh, recognizing as an Afro-Japanese heritage upbringing, um, and just if you could speak to that artist as well, but just kind of give context of what that is for you as, as a, a man navigating the world with that with all of that and you're just trying to fit because I'm, I'm just, uh, for me, I'm imagining it's like you're on the BLM side of it and trying to say, Hey, my black life matters. But then you're also on the Asian side of it saying my Asian life matters as well. And so what does that look like for you? Thanks Joey for that dope introduction. Um, you know, there's a lot of intersectionality in my life. Um, and, and, I th I'm really grateful for the education I've had because it's helping me to break down some of this oppression, right, and become aware of it. And I think that's what Abby spoke to um, that was reflected in recent events, right? Racism, sexism, Orientalism, all of these, these, different, these different forces that play out in our lives. I personally identify as a multiracial Afro-Japanese sansei. So a third generation Japanese-American and multiracial identifying as black, Japanese, Cuban, Puerto Rican, and Taino. So there's a Latino component to it. My first name's Miguel, right? My middle name is Akira. And when I go out into different spaces, some people call me high yellow. Some people think I'm Mexican. Some people know that I'm black. And uh, some people in the Asian community know that I'm Asian. So I have a level of fluidity, right? That I move through, through my community with. Um, I'm bilingual. I speak English and I understand Japanese a little bit more than I can speak. Um, you know, I was thinking about just as we were entering the space today that earlier in, in 2020, I also attended a Black Lives Matter rally with a lot of educators from the Tacoma area. And then here I am, um, you know, just last month attending a Stop Asian Hate, Stop AAPI Hate rally. And I know that I belong to both camps, right? One of my greatest mentors, her name is Suilan Okano. Uh, it's my auntie for life. She, she helped me recognize that, um, you know, we can always try to compartmentalize ourselves into, into our bloodlines or into our culture and heritage. But at the end of the day, she recognizes herself as 100% of each of those parts. And I'm 100% of each of those, each of those parts. And the most important thing for me is that wherever I guide my, my action, my energy, my attention, um, that that's aligned with my values, right? Um, when I think about the tension and the violence that I'm seeing out in the world today, I can't help but 
stand firm in, um, in the women, the women who've raised me in, in protecting them, right, in, in defending them, rising to the occasion, not just because that's what I believe, you know, is part of me stepping into my own uh, manhood or masculinity, right, of being there, you know, with others during times of need, but also because that's my, my background. I have 15 years of martial arts training in traditional Japanese karate from the Lakewood Dojo. And so it's like these things um, live inside of me. And every day that I wake up or step outside of my door, I make a decision to step outside with the courage, right? With the conviction, with the confidence that I need to make a change in my reality, right? And if that ends up bleeding out into community spaces or into the lives of others as a positive influence, I'm just grateful to, to have the chance. Um, and so I think, I think right now, you know, as I've been thinking over the last few weeks uh, about what, what this moment is calling for me, um, it's calling for me to be in community with others, right? To tap into my support systems. Um, and even, you know, just, I, just the other weekend, I stopped by one of my Japanese auntie's houses. She called me because she needed help. And I think I can't help but but think about these these elders, right? Who for me are, are family no matter what. But to think of of them as also being the vulnerable targets, right? Within our society. And that if all I can do is go shopping with her so she feels secure, then that's what I'm gonna do, right? If it means that I'm gonna show up um, at a rally with others and, and, and do my part in spreading the word, then that's what I'm going to do. Because those are the small pieces of action and influence that I can make in my world. Um, and that's just what I'm doing personally, right? Not, not to mention the kind of impact over the last few years that I've been able to make um, on our campus, right? And, and helping students connect with community organizations um, and cultural enrichment. Because I think there's nothing more powerful than being rooted in who we are. Right? Because it's only from that place that we can go out and start to make change right, for others. Um, and so at the end of the day, I just know that our liberation is intertwined. right? And that now I'm taking it back to, to MLK, right? is that I can't be who I ought to be until you are who you ought to be. And that's how I try to live my life and channel my energy is that um, I'm just here to, to liberate alongside one another. That's dope. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, and one thing I'm hearing, like a, a common a commonality between um, both you and Abby is the, the concept of defense. And she was talking, speaking from a gender perspective and her um, reaction to defend her man, but you know, Asian men. Right. Um, and I hear you speaking in similar terms of your 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 desire to want to defend on behalf of Asian women. And on the one end, I really appreciate that, but I also understand the fatigue involved with always having to be a soldier. And some of the, you know, some of the things that I, you know, I'm wondering if you want to deal with is like the juxtaposition of what it means to deal with that perception of passive passivity. Um, and how do you stand firm in your culture um, in spite of that, 
And what can we do to support that, to, to make sure that the, the, the perceptions and the images that truly reflect the power um, of this culture are disseminated and, and understood in ways that are healthy? That's a big question. I feel like I need to think about it for a Yeah, moment. I also don't want to be that dude who speaks on behalf of like all Asian people. <laughs> no, no, not like that. I'm just saying like, like um, if you, if in an ideal world, what would you love to see reflect, what would you love to see reflected a, across just your local city, community, the state, the nation that that we could say like is we don't even think about it like in terms of um the community the, the folks that you want to defend um what would be one thing that you wish you could take off of that defense list that was just kind of embedded into into us as a nation where you didn't have to think about that like for instance i would love for the for the black community I would love to be able to walk across a street and not hear somebody's car doors activate. Right? The idea that I'm scary just because I'm I'm big and black. I would love to just remove that off the defense list. I think the biggest thing for me and this I think can be something that all people of color would probably want removed from that defense list is just getting rid of the generalizations that we are all the same, that we're all like that, or when a, like crime happens or when our community is hurting or maybe a member of our community committed a crime or whatever it is. And then we all get targeted or we all get looked at as the source of what happened. Uh, like with COVID, you know, we had a leader before who wanted to continue to call it I don't even want to say it, but he kept calling it um, the China virus and all the time. He, that's all he kept saying. And then even after the shooting happened in Atlanta, I'm pretty sure he went on the news and continued to call it that. And now what we're hearing on the streets in New York and L.A. are people telling uh, our Asian community members to go back to China to get out of this country, blaming them for the virus and, you know, and we see that I see this being held up on uh, on signs at rallies and stuff. But we we aren't a virus, you know. Uh, Asians are not a virus. We we aren't all. And then people think um, if you're Asian, you're Chinese. You, that you're all the same. You're all the same right. ethnicity. That we're just all the same all the time. There's just always those generalizations. So I think that would be that's like the biggest thing that I wish we could get rid of. But that's a big ask to get rid of. And the, and the reason why this episode is so important for us is because our, our Asian brothers and sisters make up a great number of the population here at Pierce College. And, and the efforts put forward, um, you know, we have the Center for Global Scholars that was built out a, a few years ago. And that was uh, student housing that was intended for our international students. So shout out to Young Park and all of those who have done the amazing work of working with our international students. This is something that's dear to the hearts of everyone at Pierce College. And you heard Aki speak about um, 
going to that uh, the anti hate rally and and who was there? I, I I heard that Michelle was there. Our chancellor was there with you. I thought I saw a picture of her with you. So what what does that mean to have that kind of representation? from the institution to come, you know, with the community to acknowledge what's going on and, and say, hey, I'm here. I have your back. Like, what did, how did, how, how did, how did that make you feel? I mean, I, f- I felt, I brought my dad and my daughter with me that day. And at first I felt a little alone. But then I saw Mel Bartos. Then I saw Violet Nyasulu. Then I saw Abby. Then I saw Dr. Johnson. Then I saw... Uh, Brian Locke, right? And I realized, you know, they all got the call. They all got activated and we all showed up here in this moment together. Um, So we're standing rooted in power, right? In love, in solidarity to weather this storm. Um, And, you know, I was just thinking back to Tony's question, right? The thing I want to, I want to not give up the fight for, but wish we could stop fighting for is just to be recognized as human, right? As, as deserving of rights, as deserving of respect. Um, Because at the end of the day, I mean, we, we're in this country together. We have to find a way to live, not just amongst one another, but with one another. And that, I think, you know, hits on a lot of different levels of difference that that transcend race, right, that transcend um, a lot of the conflict that that we can get wrapped up in. But um, it's that recognition of of humanity um, that I I hope we can continue working towards. and, and yes, Joey, I mean, to, to be in a place where your colleagues and, and people who I call friends, right, um, are, are with one another. I mean, I feel like that's what being human is all about. It's about the relationships and knowing that, that you can activate that capital, right? That, that you, that we are wealthy, right? When we act together rooted in our political power, right? And in our financial power. Um, and even the the power we have in just using our voice to tell our stories and experiences, because silence, if we are silent, that is the the biggest. I, I don't know. However, you want to, you know, Tony has a bunch of analogies, but something. It's it's it, it's the well, and that's the and that's the that's the perception that that's what Abby was talking about earlier about passivity is that so much of this is allowed because of the perception of, of silence, of invisibility. Um, and I imagine so many of our students are all also feeling the weight of that. And um, so, you know, to both of you, Abby and Aki, um, can you speak to um, some, you know, some words of wisdom or some supports that you could give our students who may be um, wrestling with these same these same feelings, these same thoughts? Yeah, actually what Aki mentioned earlier about being 100% of yourself, of your identity, uh, that, really, that really spoke to me because before I used to always say, oh, I'm half Filipino, I'm 50% Filipino. 
But now I don't say that. I don't specify I'm half this, half that. I just say I'm Filipino and I'm German. Like I'm both. And I think that for our students, yeah, for our students too, um, as Aki has already mentioned as well, it's, I think, finding your community and staying rooted in your community and learning your history, your history, your, your parents' history, just your family history, the history of Asian America, um, and, and really finding the people to who you can surround yourself with and who will support you. I think that is really crucial uh, in this fight. And as Tony mentioned, there, there is power in numbers as well. So we do need to really stick together and uh, seek liberation for not just ourselves, but for um, our other communities of color. And uh, I have something I wanted to share so I don't know if y'all know who Ruby Ibarra is. I know Aki, you know, yes. Um, she has a song called Us. Do you know that song? Okay. No, um, but you got, yeah, you got to learn me now. I need to, I need to learn. So learn me. I do recommend if you haven't heard that song to listen to it, but there is a spoken word at the end of the song um, by Faith Santia. And uh, I believe she won a poetry slam in 2018 or she was, in a poetry slam, but uh, I wanted to read that spoken word. So to all my fellow Asian Americans, my Asian women, and my Filipino, yep, my Filipinas, this is for you. So I'll do my best um, to really put in that that, uh, feeling into this. So here it goes. So let it be known, if you don't already, Panays have always been part and parcel, if not imperative and critical to the struggle. Filipinas are no strangers to wielding our own power. Of all the privileges that exist in this world, none of which you may be a benefactor of, there is at least one you bear. And that is the privilege of having been born a Filipina. Your DNA contains building blocks made from the mud of over 500 years of resistance and survival. And when you are ready, sis, we'll be right here. That's a beautiful thing. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, so um, Abby, I know that you're working in outreach at Pierce. Aki, I know you're with a part of the EDI Cares team. So can you speak a little bit to like, what are you doing on campus, you know, and specifically for students who um, identify in these different populations and what kind of supports are you able to provide to them specifically for you and how are you able to connect or what are the kind of supports that you know we have around college for those students um, and, and either of you jump in. Yes, on a, on a daily basis, I mean, I'm working with students from all, all backgrounds, right? All students of color, low income, first gen, um, you know, even if you're not, reach out. We'd love to, we'd love to connect. Um, but we have some amazing staff uh, who run three really, really amazing programs, the TRIO Student Support Services, um, Aspire, Link, the Legacy of um, Native Knowledge, right? Indigenous and Native Knowledge, um, TRIO, Upward Bound, uh, really, really programs and staff and a culture and a community that wrap around students to make sure that you get holistic support. Um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, whether it's one-on-one coaching, um, the chance to come to events to connect with others, or just help navigating the college system and finding scholarships and, and, and resources, 
that's what that's what we do on a daily basis. Um, and I was just thinking too, you know, to add on to that, um, I love that you brought up the the spoken word poetry, Abby, and about learning culture and history because I feel like that's how you take your power back, right? Um, and there's a there's a proverb in Japanese, nana korobi yaoki, which means seven like falling down seven times and getting up eight, right? No matter what life throws at you, don't stop, right? Don't stop protesting. Don't stop being you. Um, my grandmother would often say gambare, which means, you know, don't give up, keep fighting. Uh, and so that's what I leave each of you with is that I'm not going to stop. So I hope you'll join, join us in that movement. Oh, you know it, brother. How about you, Abby, in that in that outreach realm? How are you? Are you able to kind of work with um, students who may be impacted by these kind of events? Or, or do you have to kind of make a point of doing that, like outside and inside? Or how does that look for you? Yeah, I recommend if you haven't heard that song to definitely uh, take a listen to it, because the whole song and the lyrics are just really powerful. But in outreach specifically, um, it's been kind of a journey for me after starting my job at Pierce College in outreach. Uh, just we we're pretty focused on high school students, but we do do community based outreach. But I've been and we have been moving towards this, but I've been wanting to focus on our marginalized populations more, but I know that the work that the um, Aki and, and the EDI CARES team are doing, it is great work. So a lot of the times I try to make connections back to them, refer students back to the EDI CARES team, and just go out of my way to connect with students. Uh, not out, I, would, I don't wanna say outside of my job, but just uh, putting in more effort to reach those students who I know might be struggling, who need that support, who need someone who maybe can relate to them, who might look like them, who um, they might just feel more comfortable to open up to, just being that person who can be there for them and make them feel supported. So I do try to do a little bit more of that uh, when I can. Awesome, and we're, we are, we're blessed to have both uh, you and Aki, just part of this Pierce family, you know, bringing your whole selves to this this work and to this community, it's it's invaluable. There's no no paycheck that can cover that. What you guys truly bring um, to this environment, and you know, so like I just I, I I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to an amazing queen, um, Sayumi Sayumi Airy. Uh, from uh, formerly Bellevue College. Um, and I believe she's down at, yeah, Sayumi. Shout out to Sayumi, I love her to death. Um, she has empowered me in so many ways. And if you don't know the name Sayumi, you will learn real quick when you when you enter this um, realm of social justice. That's, um, she founded the Social Justice Leadership Institute um, in Washington State that I am a proud member of um, and I have, so many skills and leadership and and it's part of it is part of the reason I do so much of the work that I do here at Pierce. So um, you know, this this is near and dear to my heart and Aki and Abby, I just want you to know that I see you, we see you, 
love you. You have my support. You have Pierce's support. And and however we can be um, uplifting you in any way, you you let us know because uh, you know we're in this together. This is what 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 it's all about. You know when we say that we we're standing firm and being an institution that leads with equity, diversity, and inclusion. And then we also make the bold statement of saying we're going to be an anti-racist institution. Well, that get get your shovels and, and get your working boots because that's gonna that's that takes some hard work and and you know to have powerful individuals like you um alongside to help push forward that. Um I'm I'm just blessed to have you guys uh, with us. So I just thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with us, um, you know, with the respects to schedules. And again, we're navigating this pandemic remotely. So just thank you so much um, for taking out the time to do this interview with us. It's been a pleasure. This is soul food for me. And, um, you know, I just want to say that in, in looking out at the landscape of, of leaders in this work, I'm going to, I have to give my props to all of the grandmas, aunties, and sisters who are leading it. Um, because as I look out to these organizations, it's our Asian women, our PI women, our women from all cultures and backgrounds who are bringing healing and hope to our communities. So the queens I, is always leading us, aren't they? They always set the foundation in so many ways for us. So you guys have some unmatched strength in you. Like, I love y'all. Love y'all queens out there for that. And I do have one one ask for everybody who might be listening to this. Um, I ask that you take a look at your bookshelf, take a look at your playlist, um, take a look at what movies you're watching, what shows you're watching, and consider, have you read a book by an Asian author? Do you have more than one book maybe? Do you listen to any Asian entertainers? And there probably are Asian entertainers that you listen to that you don't know are Asian. Uh, like Bruno Mars and Saweetie, uh, Janae Aiko. But uh, I just want people to reflect on that and just think about how they can learn and kind of try and immerse themselves a little bit more into Asian culture and uh, try and get, get a little bit more, yeah, I guess just a little bit more educated on um, Asian culture. So... That's just my ask for the end of this. Abby, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, thank you. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Y'all tune in to the next episode. Uh, We'll see you then. Peace.